Taharat HaMitzora by Revez Rebek. This week's double parasha deals exclusively with Tumah and Tahara. Specifically, the five kinds of Tumah described in these two parashiyot, Yoledet, Mitzora, Zav, Zava, and Nida, form a subset of Tumah known in the Halakha as Tumot Hayotzot Migufo. The source of Tumah is the body of the Tameh. In other words, he or she is not Tameh by coming in contact with something else, but as a result of a body condition. These Tumot are set off from other Tumot, contact Tumot, in the Torah. The most prominent of Tumot, Tumat Met, contact with a dead body, is found only in Bimidbar, Parashat Chukat, and even Nivela and Sheretz, which are contiguous to our present Parshiot, are appended to the discussion of the prohibition of eating certain species. It is, of course, true that the forbidden species themselves are described as Tmeim, so that it is indeed fair to say that we are in the middle of a section of Tum'ah. However, there is a difference between a behemat me'ah which is prohibited and the halachic concept of Tum'ah described in our parshiot. I shall not discuss what is the common concept of prohibited foods and objects which contaminate, but no matter what that common point is, there is still an important legal distinction between the two. The Torah itself sets off the discussion in these two parshiot from that in Shmini, with a five-verse conclusion to Shmini stressing the theme of Kedushah and Havdalah, aside from Tumah and Tahara, and finishing with the coda formula of Zot Torah Tabehemah Ve'aof. Tazriah begins with a new Vayidaber Hashem al-Moshe Lemor and Daber al-Bnei Yisrael Lemor with a separate Zot Torah for Yoledet, Mitzorah, the purification of the Mitzorah, and the three emission Tumot. Due to our distance from practical dealing with the subject, it is difficult for us to understand what Tumah is. I shall try today to examine the concept as an autonomous one, that is, not by equating it with some other concept, but by trying to understand what the Torah says about it. For this purpose, we shall primarily use Mitzorah, who takes up not only the bulk of our parasha, but occupies an extreme position within the family of Tmeim, and is therefore perhaps a clearer indication of the internal meaning of Tameh. First, what does the status Tameh imply? In Parashat Shmini, regarding the contact Tumot of Nevelah and Sheretz, the Torah simply stated that one is Tameh. However, in Tazriah, immediately after introducing Tumat Yoledet, the Torah stated the implications, She shall not touch any sacred thing, nor come into the sacred place, Mikdash. This is the main ramification of Tumah. One who is Tameh is removed from the sacred provinces and prohibited to come in contact with sacred objects. Tum'ah is an obstacle to Kedushah. Removal from the Mikdash is halachically a gradated system dependent on the severity of the Tum'ah, based on the verse in Sefer Bamidbar, which lists Mitzorah, Zav, and Tmemet. Mitzorah is the most severe, and his removal is not only from Machaneh the inner Azara, like Tmemet, and not only from Machane Leviyah, the entire temple confines, Har Habayit, like Zav, Zava, Nida, and Yoledet, but even from Machane Yisrael, the encampment in the desert, Yerushalayim in Eretz Yisrael. In other words, the verse in Tazriah, and the Tzarua who has the sore, he shall live in solitude, outside of the encampment shall be his dwelling, is understood by the Halakha, in light of the verses in Bimidbar, to be an extension of the nor come into any sacred place imposed on the Yoledet. The Machane Yisrael is also a sacred place, albeit on a lesser level.
The Mitzorah is on the most severe level of Tumah. If Tumah is understood as alienation from sanctity, he must dwell the farthest from the center of sanctity of all Tmeim, and is not even allowed to enter the sacred province of the camp of Israel. This is reiterated at the end of the parasha. You shall separate B'nai Yisrael from their defilement, and they shall not die from their defilement, by defiling my dwelling which is in their midst. The fact that the dwelling of God is in the midst of the Jews makes the presence of Tumah a dangerous situation. The entire camp of the Jews is the surrounding of the dwelling of God, which is in their midst. This gives us the basic ingredient in understanding what is Tum'ah of a person. Tum'ah is a state which interferes and prevents the relationship of a man with the sacred, with Kedushah. At the strongest level, it prevents the integration of the Tameh with the sacred community of Israel. On a less severe level, it obstructs his entrance into the realm of God's service. On the weakest level, it interferes with his coming into the presence of God. In last week's shiur, this state was explained in relation to death, taking met as the standard of Tumah. Death is the opposite of relationship to the source of life, growth, and Kedushah. Today, we shall try to see what can be derived from Mitzorah, rather than met. We shall concentrate on the purification ceremony of the Mitzorah, which is much more complicated than that for any other Tameh, including Tmemet, Prashat Chukat. My assumption will be that by seeing what a Mitzorah must undergo to remove his status as Tameh, we will achieve an understanding of what it is that he is removing. The purification of a Mitzorah has a number of distinct elements, reminiscent of other procedures. First, two birds, Kapara. Two birds are taken, one of which is slaughtered and one freed over the face of the field. This is strikingly similar to the two goats of Yom Kippur. The Kohen shall command and take for the purificant two live pure birds, and the Kohen shall command and slaughter the first bird, and he shall sprinkle on the purificant from Tzara'at seven times, and purify him, and he shall send the live bird on the face of the field. Compare to, from the congregation of B'nai Israel he shall take two goats as a sin offering, and Aharon shall sacrifice the goat on which the lot to God fell and sprinkle its blood on the kaporet and before the kaporet seven times. And Aharon shall press his two hands on the head of the live goat, and send it with a ready man to the desert. The most striking parallels here are two which are unique. First, the pairing of two animals which are then separated to life and to death. And secondly, the freeing of an animal rather than sacrificing it. The first is halachically stressed by a requirement that the two birds of Mitzorah and the two goats of Yom Kippur be twin-like, identical in size and appearance, and that they are to be brought as a pair. The second is strengthened by the identical verb, vishilach. The Ramban comments, The reason for the sending of the bird is like the secret of the Sa'ir HaMishtaleach, the scapegoat. There it is sent to Azazel in the desert, and here to flight in the field. The meaning of the scapegoat on Yom Kippur is a very difficult topic, as the Ramban hints by using the word secret, sod. Nevertheless, it is clear that it is a process of kapara, atonement. If atonement is part of the process of the return of the Mitzorah, it is clear that there is something for which he must atone. Being a Mitzorah is a state that requires atonement. The obvious candidate for atonement is sin, and in Yom Kippur that is clear. That is why there is a confession of the Kohen Gadol over the goat. In the case of the Mitzorah, there is no obvious sin, and the Torah does not mention any sin, nor is there confession or smicha, pressing of hands. The bird itself is not a chatat, a sin offering. 
Looking back to Yoledet at the beginning of Tazriah, we see that there too the Torah spoke of atonement and purification. In fact, all the tmeim of these two parshiot require kapara. In each case it is written v'chiper, v'taher. The Ramban identifies three distinct mentions of kapara in the case of the Mitzorah, and comments, We do not understand what all these kaparot are for. Perhaps the Asham will atone for the sin he committed before he became a Mitzorah, and the Chatat for the sin he committed while he was a Mitzorah, if perhaps he blasphemed against God in his grief. And the Olah and Mincha will be a sole redemption, kofer nefesh, that he should merit purity and return to his tent. The lack of any explicit mention of sin in connection with Mitzorah leads me to adopt the last suggestion of the Ramban as the Pshat here. The basic meaning of Kapara is not forgiveness of sin, but redemption from a state that needs redemption. In our case, it is the estrangement described above, which the Ramban hints at by writing that the Kofar will lead to his return to his tent. Tum'ah, at least Tum'ah that originates in the man's body itself, is a state that is akin to sin, or to enslavement, which needs to be redeemed. One has been dragged down by forces inimical to Kedushah. Kapara replaces the old state with a new one. The particular meaning of sending an animal to redeem, rather than the normal sacrifice, is, I think, that in the normal case, by giving something to God, one redeems oneself. The gift atones for and frees the person from guilt. In more severe cases, what is present in the man's inner state contains an element that cannot be redeemed in itself. It is beyond redemption. It must be sent away, unredeemed, so that what remains can be redeemed. In the case of Yom Kippur, the Torah says explicitly that the sins are carried away by the goat. The Ramban suggests here as well that the bird carries away the Tum'ah to the field. Only by sending part of the personality away, by severing the corrupted part, can the rest be healed. Second, live water and sprinkling, tahara. The blood of the slaughtered bird is added to Mayim Chaim, spring water. Then, cedarwood, scarlet, and hyssop, together with the live bird, are dipped in, and the Kohen sprinkles it seven times on the purificant. This obviously parallels the preparation of the Parah Duma, used to purify at Memet. There, the ashes of the Parah Duma, burned together with the cedarwood, scarlet, and hyssop, are added to Mayim Chaim and sprinkled on the Tameh. The outcome of the Parah Duma ceremony is Tahara. Hazaya, sprinkling, as opposed to immersion in a mikveh, is called Chitui by the Torah. The verb is used in modern Hebrew to mean to disinfect, which I think is not far off. It means to cleanse. Immersion in a mikveh also symbolizes cleanliness, but without any effort. A person coming out of the mikveh has been renewed, returned, as it were, to an original state of cleanliness. If the stain is a stubborn one, it needs to be ripped off, cleansed with not only water but with special additives, soap as it were, and a special agent, the Kohen, and this is the purpose of the Hazaah. In any event, the outcome is spiritual cleanliness, a return to primordial, pristine existence. Third, ears, fingers, and toes, chinuch. On the eighth day of the purification of the Mitzorah, after spending seven days outside his tent, he brings a number of sacrifices, as do the Zav, Zavah, Nidah, and Yoledet. One of them is an Asham. The Kohen takes the blood of the Asham and places some on the right earlobe, right thumb, and right big toe of the Mitzorah. He then does the same thing with oil. Finally, he places some oil on the Mitzorah's head. 
The same thing was done to the Kohanim, Aharon and his sons, as part of the inauguration of the Mishkan. During the seven days of the Miluim, while Aharon and his sons stayed at the entrance to the tent, the blood of the second ram was placed on their right earlobes, thumbs, and big toes. This ceremony is so unusual that the similarity is all the more striking. As before, we do not have to have a theory of the meaning of the details of the ceremony to understand the context. The Kohanim are being inducted into the service of God. The holy oil on their heads is a classic inauguration ritual, as was done for kings, and apparently the blood on their right limbs has similar significance. The entire seven-day period is the inauguration procedure of the Kohanim, called Miluim, to fill, to fill them with new content, or Chinuch, dedication, as in Chanukat HaMizbeach. Now, the Kohanim are embarking on a totally new role, separate from that of other Jews, the need to be appointed and prepared for this task. The Mitzorah, though, is returning to his normal state. Apparently, being a normal Jew, after the state of Tumah, requires renewal of a dedication of the person. Again, in the case of Mitzorah, the corruption of Tumah is so great that the purification cannot take place without this element. Whereas for other Tmeim, including the Tumot Hayotzot Migufam, this result is achieved automatically. This nonetheless indicates the nature of Tumah in general, though. The Tameh has lost the personal status, or at least had it significantly impugned, that made him worthy and capable of serving God on the Israel level, as the Kohen does on the Kohen level. While this status does not require a special ritual for normal Jews, once one has become Tameh, at least on the most severe level, it requires a special ceremony to bring it back. The status of serving God is a special one, which does require a special preparation, even if in normal conditions it apparently is achieved through being born Jewish. We have identified three stages in the purification of a mitzorah. Kapara, consisting of removing part of the personality and rejecting it, letting it fly away, as it were. Tahara, cleansing of what remains, rejuvenating it. And chinuch, rededication to the service of God. Tum'ah is a state which prevents life and interferes with the relationship with living things, whether of other men or God. I have tried to take a complicated and arcane ritual and make some sense out of it. I will be the first to admit that I have not explained any of the details themselves. Finding parallels merely moves the question over to the next area. Why cedarwood? Why right earlobes? Why birds? I haven't even begun to answer these questions. What I have done is try to understand the role these things play in the Torah, and this can be done by finding other places where they appear. To understand the meaning of each item, why they are appropriate to the role they play, one can look in any of the commentators of the Midrashim, which are rich in explanations and ideas.